Well, what have we here? Yes, friends, welcome. Welcome to a holiday, a Halloween edition of Sounds Like Radio. You're listening to our annual Halloween presentations here on Sounds Like Radio. When we listen to a great Kildersleeve Halloween episode and some scary stories and some rather spooky music, too. <laughs> oh, it's going to be a good show today. Yeah, we got a great Gildersleeve, one of the earliest ones of that we've ever played. In fact, this is one of my very favorite Halloween episodes of The Great Gildersleeve. When I think of a Halloween episode of The Great Gildersleeve, this is the one that I think of because I used to listen to this one a lot. And uh, when I was first listening to Gildersleeve, this is one of the only Halloween episodes I had in my collection. So now when I play it now, it's kind of nice. Anyway, yeah, we got a great Gildersleeve and a whole lot of stuff. And we're going to start off with Joe Stafford. Yeah, Joe Stafford is here to sing Haunted Heart. And I think that's a pretty good way to start a, a Sounds Like Radio Halloween show. Here is Joe Stafford. a ghost of you within my haunted heart, ghost of you, my lost romance, lips that laugh, eyes that dance, haunted heart. Sweet but lonely song to me Dreams are dust It's you who must belong to me And thrill my haunted heart Be still my Joe Stafford and Haunted Heart. Yeah, nice way to start a Halloween edition of Sounds Like Radio. I am your humble host and welcome to Halloween time here 
on Sounds Like Radio. Great Gildersleeve and some great music and some spooky stories, all here on our Halloween edition of Sounds Like Radio. Approach, Boris, approach. We have the great storyteller, my favorite spooky man storyteller. Yeah, my favorite spook, Boris Karloff. Why, thank you, humble host. I'm so happy to be here. Well, Boris, we couldn't think of anybody more perfect on a Halloween night than you. Why, that's quite an honor. Uh, uh, what's the story tonight, Boris? I have a nice spooky story I think you're going to like. Really? Yes, it's one I call The Vampire Sleeps. Oh, The Vampire Sleeps. It does sound kind of eerie, I admit that. Well, I'll tell it to you if you, if you choose to listen. All right, Boris, here is our favorite spooky guy storyteller, Boris Karloff and... The Vampire Sleeps. Why, I thought I just said that. All right, boys, tell us the story. Are you one of the frightened? Yes, I am. Do you whistle past the graveyard? Well, then perhaps you're really like the rest of us. Okay, tell me. So come with me. Just a short ride through the hills past the old burial grounds where Count Alexis met the lady in the long, flowing veil. The famous castle of the Alexis family had long towered on the hillside in the Bavarian Valley. Count Alexis himself, the last surviving member of the historic clan, was tall and handsome and kind. Indeed, the only wonder in the village was when would he marry and raise a son to continue the glory of his ancestors. And then one storm-tossed night when he was out on the marshes with his hunting dog. Alexis saw a tall, beautiful, dark-haired woman in a long, flowing veil walking across the meadows towards him. It seemed her carriage had overturned on the bridge and crashed into the raging waters of the Casney River. Her driver and horses had perished, but she had managed to save herself. The Count had already surrendered to the romance of their meeting, but only the hound dog seemed to whimper and growl and behave badly whenever the lady drew near him. The Count insisted that the lady be his guest and took her straight to his castle. Within a fortnight, Alexis had wooed and won her. And the village celebrated the wonderful news. Alexis would have an heir. But in the days preceding the marriage, the young Count seemed to be failing in health. He lost weight so that his uniform seemed to hang on him. And curiously enough, to the staff of the castle, Sonia, their future mistress fairly glowed with health since her ordeal in the river. But when no one could recall seeing her in the daytime, rumors began to spread. The old wives' tales about vampires who stalk at night and sleep in the daytime swept through the village like wildfire. And finally, up in the master bedroom where he lay exhausted, Count Alexis himself had to credit the rumors. How else this sudden loss of weight and failing health? And why should Sonia's blooming good health coincide exactly with the loss of his own vitality? Count Alexis made up his mind. He pulled the bell cord by his bed and summoned his manservant. When the fellow appeared, the Count asked that his fiancée be brought to him. But the servant shook his head. The Lady Sonia had gone out before dawn, riding off to the west, as was her usual custom. Count Alexis had heard enough. He dressed, 
armed himself with a short dagger and ordered his fastest horse. He thundered down the castle road off to the west, towards the very spot where he had first met Sylvia. Meadows were barren, and darkness was coming on. The Count led his horse carefully over the hilly ground. Finally, he found what he was looking for. A stone slab set in the earth, covered over with vines and leaves. Triumphantly, he dragged it to one side, and looking down... Just make out an open coffin with Sonia lying in it, her pale beauty and blood-red lips gleaming in the dying light. Alexis drew his dagger and raised it for the kill. But he said the only way that you can kill a vampire is a stake through the heart while it sleeps. But suddenly, the dagger fell from his hands and a slow, eerie smile played over his face. Like a stone man, he settled down beside her to wait for the vampire's hour. For he had learned Sonia's secret too late. Too late to stop him from becoming a vampire himself. See now, my friend? See? Those two bats wheeling through the darkness? <laughs> it's Sonia and Count Alexis winging through the night and waiting for the chance to assume human form again. You don't believe me? Well, I'm sorry. The people of the village will believe nothing else. My, 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 but you do have a soft, delicate throat. Boris, please. Oh, stop staring at my throat, Boris. It just ain't polite. Oh, my. Boris Karloff and the vampire sleeps. You know, Boris looks forward to these times, don't you, Boris? That's right. I'm here during the year and I tell normal, nice stories. But at Halloween, that's my favorite time of year. Why is that, Boris? Because then I get to frighten you. Are you one of the frightened? Yes, sir. Well, I hope you were frightened that time. I'll be back again shortly with another story. Don't fear. Okay, Boris. <laughs> Just take your time, will ya? I gotta get over that last one. Uh, to help me get over it, right now we got something very unusual and very rare, actually. I got this a long time ago on an album uh, made up of rare Bing recordings. And this is a, a song he did at wartime. Let's see, it broadcast, I mean, it was recorded on July 2nd, 1943. It's Bing Crosby to introduce and sing for you, Duke the Spook. Well, this isn't exactly a Halloween song, but it is kind of a spooky ghost type song. Rather unusual, and that's why we're playing it, because it's really an odd Bing Crosby song. Let's listen now to Bing as he sings, Duke the Spook. Greetings, men. Johnny Burke and Jimmy Van Heusen composed a little song called Duke the Spook, which is respectfully dedicated the men of the 400th Bombardment Group, under the command Colonel Way, Deputy CO, Major Clark Evans. Timmy's at the piano. Johnny Burke is in the control tower in case we have to make a crash landing here somewhere. Ready, Jim? Here we go. The night is calm, the sky is clear, a perfect setup for a bombardier. Motors roar with angry sparks, the big B-24s on their marks. 
from the ground with shrieks and wails. A ghostly figure hits the ether trails. A mascot in an ascot and a silk high hat and Meets that gallant swell, Duke the Spook. Charming as all hell, Duke the Spook. With the flowery phrase on his lips, he'll annihilate those nips. When his killing smile greets the foe, death is done in style, I don't you know. Class will win, and they'll give in. You shake the hand that shook Berlin, Duke the Spook. Here's the way the boys will probably sing it around the officers' club in the cool of the evening when those jugs are being passed around and Pug Evans has uh, had his second double Coca-Cola. Oh, meet that gallant swell, Duke the Spook. Oh, they're glad to see you, Dookie. Charming as all hell, Duke the Spook. So nice of you to come, loved it. With a flowery phrase on his lips, you look divine, divine. He'll annihilate those nips. Dip, 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 dip. When his killing smile greets the foam <laughs> Death is done in style, don't you know? Class will win and they'll give in you shake the hand that shook Berlin Oh, Duke the Spook well, There you are, men, good luck If you don't like the song, I just drop all the platters on Berlin On your way by well, a rather unusual recording, wouldn't you say? Yeah, that was a, a kind of an odd record that Bing Crosby made in 1943 for the troops in fighting in World War II. And it was sort of a, I guess you might call it a fight song rather than a, a spooky song. But I thought it'd be nice to play here on Halloween. After all, the name of the song is Duke the Spook, so eh, it sounds Halloween-y enough. <laughs> Hope you enjoyed it. That was a strange one, friends, but a good one as uh, Duke rallied the troops in the war, and that's what you had to do. Well, friends, I wonder if the troops would be rallying if they could dance to the Transylvania Twist. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, they'd rally around that, all right. Here is the man who sings Monster Mash. Here is Bobby Boris Pickett and his follow-up to Monster Mash, the Transylvania Twist. Ooh, yeah. Here it is. Here what is. Transylvania Twist. All right, let's hear it.
Twisting Away. Kind of wearing myself out. It's a rocker. <laughs> oh my. Yeah, it's a rocker, all right, especially when you're doing the twist. The Transylvania twist, no doubt. Well, friends, that was a, a rather tiring dance. It was so fast-paced. I, I think I need to settle down and listen to a little a little calming story. That'll be nice to me. Yeah, uh, that's right. I, I'm here on the wrong night for that. <laughs> We've got a, a cut here from the Lights Out album from Arch Obler. Arch Obler put out a neat album in the early 1960s. They used to advertise this album in the Monster magazines. I remember seeing it advertised, but I never ordered it. But I later, when I got old, I got the album myself. And now I'm going to play one of the cuts. But I always used to see this album advertised in those Monster magazines. And my, my aunt and I, we loved reading Monster magazines. And I remember the cover of the album had a big skull on it. And then it just said, Drop Dead. Yeah, it was put out by Arch Obler, the creator of Lights Out. And he hosts the album, and the story is... Well, I'm not going to tell you what the name of the story is. I don't want to give it away. Here is a Lights Out, Arch Obler, Drop Dead story. Oh, how nice of you to come and visit me. I, I do not often have visitors here. We, we are so isolated here, you know. Oh, sit down, sit down, please. Do forgive me for, for being impolite. I'm, uh, I'm just about to have my evening meal, and I'm very hungry. Oh, you look surprised. You do not see anything on the table? Well, wait until I get the box. Here it is. Yes, here it is. Here it is. It, it is in this box that my meal is waiting. It is a... a how, how do you Americans say it? A, a package dinner? Now, if you will forgive me, I will begin. There we are. But why do you gasp? It's, it's, it's just the head of a young girl. A pretty young girl. This saw? Again you are surprised. But it is, it is my very special saw. I have to work for my meals. Cutting through the bone is not easy. Forgive me. I must begin. what you're thinking. You think I am psychotic. I'm not psychotic. I'm just hungry. I like to eat brains. Well, <laughs> a Peter Lorre sounded like, he did sound like Peter Lorre too, in a little story from Arch Obler's album Drop Dead. The story, I like to eat brains. 
You see now why I didn't want to tell you the name of the story. Eh, be kind of giving it away if I told you the name. Well, friends, that was a, a very strange one and a kind of a spooky one. But now, to balance it out, we got Louis Armstrong here and Skeleton in the Closet. Why don't you go in there? Come out of there, boy. Don't you know that house is haunted? An old deserted mansion on an old forgotten road where the better ghosts and goblins always hang out. One night they threw a party in a manner a la mode, and they cordially invited all the gang out. At a dark, bewitching hour, when the fun was loud and hearty, a notorious wallflower became the life of the party. Mm, the spooks were having their midnight fling. The merrymaking was in full swing. Fish rigged themselves into a cheerful trance. When the skeleton in the closet started to dance. Now a goblin giggled with fiendish glee. A shout rang out from a big man's sheet. Amazement was in every ghostly glance. When the skeleton in the closet started to dance. All the witches were in stitches while his steps made rhythmic thumps and then nearly dropped their broomsticks. When he tried to do the bumps, you never heard such an oily laughter, such hilarious groan. When skeleton in closet rattled his He hit the high note there, didn't he? <laughs> the great Louis Armstrong. That was an early record from Louis from 1936, The Skeleton in the Closet. Ooh, that was a good one for Halloween, I'd say. You know, when you're talking about skeletons dancing around. Oh, and that comes from the movie, by the way, that Bing Crosby starred in. And he brought his pal Louis to play in the movie with him. And uh, Louis in that movie, Pennies from Heaven is what I'm talking about, the movie Pennies from Heaven, where Louis Armstrong sang Skeleton in the Closet. Well, friends, hey, hey, when that's time now, we got to the Great Gildersleeve's Halloween celebration. Today, 
the Great Gildersleeve is going to throw a Halloween party. And one of the reasons I like this show is because Leela, these are the days when Leela is Gildersleeve's girlfriend. And Leela, she just has a way about her. Drives me crazy. <laughs> oh, this show is from Halloween night, October 31st, 1943, when the Great Gildersleeve presented this Halloween edition here on Sounds Like Radio. I am your humble host, and now... Let's listen to The Great Gildersleeve. Kraft presents The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. <laughs> the Kraft Cheese Company will also bring you the Kraft Music Hall every Thursday night. Present each week at this time Harold Perry as The Great Gildersleeve, written by John Whedon and Sam Moore. Let's see what goes on at the home of the great Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve. It's Saturday evening, the day before Halloween, and his niece is giving a dance. All afternoon, he's been rolling up carpets, putting extra leaves in the dining room table, carrying out furniture, and carrying it in again. But now that the heavy work is done, he finds himself brushed aside. After an early makeshift supper, he wanders forlornly out to the kitchen to watch last-minute preparations there. Oh, what are you making there, Bertie? Frosting? Yes, sir. Say, that looks mighty good. Do you mind if I just... Oh, Lord! Uh, uh. Mr. Gildersleeve, a man can lose a finger that way. Mm, mm, mm. It's wonderful, though, Bertie. Say, don't you think you've beaten that about enough? Ain't sure if it's stiff enough. Oh, well, I'll just see. Oh, the Lord, really? Just tasting it, my dear. Mr. Gildersleeve, if you keep tasting, there ain't gonna be frost enough to put in your eye. Who wants it in his eye? You'd like to put a little on a piece of bread now. Oh, Lord, go out and play. Yes, go out and play. Bertie, don't you think it's about time we took another peek at that cake? Cake? I'll do it. Stay away from that oven. Oh, oh excuse me, Mr. Gillsleeve, but you want that cake to fall? Uh, I was just trying to help. Run along, Uncle Mort. I'll look at the cake, Bertie. You either. What? If some of the people don't get out of this kitchen, I'm going to go clean out of my mind. Well, Bertie, I was just Well, you more trouble than all the rest of them. Yeah. You want me to fix a party? You got to give me a chance. I ain't no Superman. No, sir. All I got is two hands. Pain to come in here, track uh, and dirt. Come on, Marjorie. I think I Bertie wants to be alone. Let's go in the other room. After you. <laughs> oh, Leroy, for heaven's sake. I am Frankenstein the Wolfman. I eat up little girls. Let go. I walked with a zombie. The undying monster. Leroy. The living dead. Stop that and take off that mask. It's only me, Uncle. Did I scare you? Yes. I don't know how you expect to scare anybody. You've been going around that rig scaring people for a week. Well, I'm just practicing being horrible. You don't need any practice. Now, Uncle Mort, you make him promise to keep away from my party. I just know he's going to... Oh, oh, that's probably for me. Don't worry, glamour puss. I wouldn't be caught dead at your party. Hello? Is that you? No, it's me. <laughs> oh, I couldn't tonight, Lester. No, I'm sorry. No, I couldn't possibly. Why don't you tell him you're giving a party and he's not invited? Shut up, Leroy. Let her alone, Leroy. Pardon the interruption. The brat again. Go on, tell me all about it. I don't know what kind of a Halloween party this is anyway. No games, no pumpkins. <laughs> what did you used to do on Halloween, Unc? Oh, we did a lot of things, my boy. Made jack-o'-lanterns, bobbed for apples. Pretty corny. <laughs> what else? Well, uh... <laughs> 
We had one little trick. Yeah? What was it? Well, we used to take two buckets of water. Yeah. And when it got dark, we'd put them on each side of somebody's front walk, and we'd tie them together with a piece of cord across the walk, and then when somebody came along, well, you can imagine. <laughs> hey, that's great. Uh, it was a very thoughtless, wicked thing to do, Leroy. <laughs> I hope you will never do anything like that. Are you kidding? I mean it. Somebody might trip and hurt themselves badly. Remember that. Yes, sir. There's one other thing to remember. What's that? Only fill the buckets halfway. It won't work if they're full. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Go to the door, somebody. I'm on the phone. Well, get off it. I'll go. Oh, I've got to hang up now. Goodbye, Lester. Yeah, so much for Lester. It's Wally Hoff. Uh, Wally Hoff. Well, the kid himself. Hiya, Junior. What are you supposed to be? Frankenstein. Oh, blow me down. Talk to Wally, will you, Uncle Mort? I'll be right down, Wally. I've got to run up and put on some lipstick. What for? It's coming right off. <laughs> uh, take these records, will you, son? And don't drop them. Got a couple of real oldies there. Red nickels. Gosh. Uh, uh, Mr. Hoff, my name is Gildersleeve. I'm Marjorie's uncle. Oh, hi. Heard a lot about you. I've heard a lot about you, too. Favorable, I trust. Anybody tuning tune this so-called piano lately? Young man, that's a Wembley. Mm. Not bad. Hey, Wally, I can play a boogie bass now like you showed me. Look. Hey, that's not it. Look out. I didn't do it right. Let me just... Look out. Let me at it. Like music, Mr. Gildersleeve? I like music, yes. Mr. Hoff, would you mind telling me something? Not at all. Shoot. That sweatshirt you're wearing, is that customary these days? At dances, I mean? What else? In my day, we wore tuxedos. And we didn't wrestle. We danced. Oh, your day, your day. Your day is over, Uncle Mort. Yes, yes, I guess it is. Well, don't stop, Wally. Give out. What'll it be, gorgeous? Oh, anything at all. Only give. The party's dying and it hasn't even started. Uncle Mort, I don't want to be rushing you, but the gang will be here any minute. I can take a hint. Well, take Leroy with you. Why don't you see if Mrs. Ransom's doing anything tonight? Maybe I will and maybe I won't. Play that. On with the dance. Let joy be unrefined. Oh, brother, even in my... Come on, Frankenstein. This is no place for us. Gosh, it's dark out, isn't it? Uh, Wally Hoff. He's a swell piano player, Unc. You stick to Bach. That sounds like Piggy. Hey, Pig, wait up. That's his signal. See you later, Uncle. Wait a minute. Yeah? I won't ask you to keep out of mischief, Leroy. Just keep out of jail. <laughs> okay. Where are you going, Mrs. Ransom? Never mind. Run along. Hey, Pig! Wait for Frankenstein! Nobody's going to tell me what I'm going to do. If I want to call on Leela, I will. And if I don't, I won't. Just hope she's in, that's all. Who's that? Boo! Oh! Yeah. Throckmorton, you mustn't do that. Yeah, but it's Halloween, Leela. No, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween. I know, but they're celebrating it tonight. What are you doing, Leela? Well, I had this date for tonight, but at the last minute I was unable to go on account of a headache. Oh, that's too bad. Yes. Well, perhaps some other time. Oh, I feel much better now. Oh, you do? Uh-huh. Isn't that lucky? Will you go to the movies with me? Well, I don't know about tonight, Throckmorton. I'm just scared to death of ghosts and witches and all. Oh, don't worry. I'll be with you. Uh, promise you'll stay close to me and protect me? I'd like to see the ghost that you get between us. <laughs> yeah. 
There'll be a slight wait inside for all seats. Oh, oh. he says there'll be waiting, Strike Martin. How many, please? How long will we have to wait, miss? The next complete showing will begin at 9.53. How many, please? 9.53? That's half an hour, Leela. Do you want to wait? Oh, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. What do you think? Oh, make up your mind. Oh. Stepping to one side, please. Keeping the line moving, please. Shutting the mouth, please. <laughs> Rock well, they can't push me around. Evidently, our patronage is not wanted here, Leela. Let's go somewhere else. Declare, Throckmorton, I've never seen Summerfield so crowded. Why don't these people stay home nights? Nice? Well, I suppose we could at least drop in here and get a soda. Would you like a soda? I don't know. Would you? Well, I don't know. Would you? Oh, look, a little boy in a mask. Well, that's more like it. That's the first real sign of Halloween. Oh, well, what's that thing he's swinging around? Oh, that's a sock filled with flour. Oh, we used to have more fun with those. Oh, he isn't going to hit somebody with it. <laughs> what do you think it's for? Uh, hello, little boy. Uh, hello there, Sonny. What's your name? Oh, uh, cat got your tongue, huh? You're not Piggy Banks, are you? You're not going to hit anybody with that, are you, little boy? Yes, careful now. Careful how you swing that. <laughs> I'll tell you what, if you go away, I'll give you a nickel. Listen, if you hit anybody... Look out now. If you're Piggy Banks, I'll tell your mother... Did you hear what I said? If you come near me with that, I'll... <laughs> come back here, you. I dare you. <laughs> Let me brush you off, Rockmore. Well, I think you might show a little more consideration, Leela. <laughs> oh, but you look so funny, darling. Come on, let's go in and get a soap. Well. Well, hello, Mrs. Ransom. Oh, good evening, Mr. Peavy. And Mr. Gildersleeve. Well, has it been snowing out? <laughs> No, it hasn't been snowing. The lady here would like a soda. Well, aren't you going to have anything, Throckmorton? I got something. Oh, well, if you're not going to have anything, I'm not going to have anything. All right. Soda for me, too. Chocolate. Chocolate, it shall be. How have you been, Mr. Peavy? Oh, just fine, Mr. Ransom, just fine. Uh, you two been out doing the town? Well, if you could call it that. Halloween isn't what it used to be, Peavy. No, Mr. Gildersleeve, it isn't. And maybe it's just as well. Why? And I remember one Halloween. Uh, Harry, it's a lucky thing we didn't all land in jail. Well, what did you do, Mr. Peavy? Well, you know how boys are, Mrs. Ransom. I remember it was a dark night like this one. I, it, it was out at old Mr. Thatcher's house. Crabby old fellow. Maybe you remember the house, Mr. Gilson. Oh, yes, I remember it. Well, we'd planned this thing for weeks. and It was dark, as I say, so we appointed one boy as a lookout, and then we hid in the bushes till the coast was clear. Oh, yeah? Go on. Then when we got the signal... We sneaked across the lawn. Yeah? We tiptoed up the front steps. Uh-huh. Crawled on our hands and knees across the porch. Yeah? And stuck a pin in his doorbell. <laughs> P.B., you didn't. Yes, sir, and I want to tell you, I got out of there just fast as my legs would carry me. P.B., I wouldn't have believed it if you hadn't told me yourself. Well, I, I'll be honest with you, Mr. Gildersleeve. I, I didn't actually stick the pin in the bell myself. Oh? I stayed behind in the bushes. But if they ever found out that that pin came out of my lapel... It just came out of my Throckmorton, you know what I think? Know what? I think we ought to have a Halloween party, an old-fashioned one where you bob for apples and stick pins and things. Well, but it's too late, Lee. Oh, no, it's not. Tomorrow's Halloween, really. 
We could have it at your house. But Leela. Oh, don't be an old killjoy. Now, who we have? Oh, you come, won't you, Mr. Peavy? Well, I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to, Mrs. Ransom. You see, Mrs. Peavy gets a little nervous around Halloween, so I usually stick pretty close to home till it blows over. Oh, too bad. Well, there, there's Judge Hooker. We'll have to have the judge. Yeah, for laughs. Now, who else? Well, we ought to have another girl. Oh, do you think we need to? Um, for the judge. You know, the old goat likes to think he's Sir Walter Raleigh. Oh, well, who can we get? I don't seem to know many women somehow. Oh, well, there's a Miss um, Goodwin, I think her name is. Goodwin? I don't seem to recall. Uh, I only know her slightly. Oh, well, how does it happen I've never heard you mention her before? Well, I say I know her. I've met her, that's all. She's the principal of the school. Oh, a school? Teacher. Yeah, school teacher. Oh, well, that sounds perfect for the judge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, you know her, don't you, PB? Oh, yes. She's perfect for the judge. <laughs> yes, <laughs> perfect for the judge. Uh, she can't be that perfect. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I'd say that she was. <clears throat> Thanks for the sodas, PB. <laughs> Gotta be running along. Oh, but Throckmorton, I've hardly finished. Gotta get going before the crowd gets out of the movie. Oh, gracious, how you rush it, girl. Oh, forgot to pay. PB, did anybody ever tell you you talk too much? Oh, I know. Well, I'm... consider yourself told. Good night, PB. <laughs> And the great Gildersleeve is ready for it, come what may. Leroy has carved a pumpkin, and Bertie has prepared some refreshments. Don't they teach you any poetry in school these days, Leroy? Oh, sure. I woke up in the morning and looked upon the wall. There was a flea and a bed bug having a game of ball. <laughs> Leroy, you didn't learn that poem in school. Oh, I did, too. Piggy taught it to me during geography. Yes. Bye, George. I'm going to ask your teacher to change your seat. I can see Piggy's a bad influence on you. I doubt if Leroy's doing Piggy any good either. Oh, is that so? Who asked you to put in your two cents? Well, you're certainly just as bad as Piggy. I suppose his sister's been shooting off her big mouth. Leroy? She has not. Well, I can tell a few things about you and her and Wally Hoff. For instance... Quiet! I'm expecting guests here any minute. Do you think I want them to walk into this kind of a cat and dog fight? Well, he's ordered it. Stop it. They're all finish it. I'll not have this kind of goings on. Leroy, where are you going? Out on the porch. What for? Oh, well, that's all right, then. It's a very good idea. I'll make a cheery welcome for my guests. Well, what are your plans, Marjorie? Would you like to stay here and enjoy a little old-fashioned Halloween fun for a change? Oh, gee, do I have to? Certainly not, my dear. What were you thinking of doing this evening? Well, Wally and I were going down to Brownie's Beanery for a while. Some of the gang's going to be there. Well, uh, I certainly dislike that boy. Oh, he grows on you, Uncle Moore. Why, George, you won't get a chance to grow on me. <laughs> Hi-ho. Well, I'll have a real Halloween anyway. I'll see how Leroy's coming with the jack-o'-lantern. Uh, real Halloween air. Gosh, dark as a pants pocket out here. Where is that kid? Oh, uh, Leroy! Hi, Unc. <laughs> I didn't see you, Leroy. Confound it. How many times have I told you it's not funny to scare people? I wasn't trying to scare you. You called me and I well, all right, but be careful. Why haven't you lit the jack-o'-lantern? The, the wind keeps blowing out the matches. That's nonsense. There's no wind at all tonight. It comes in puffs. Yeah. <laughs> well, give me those matches and I'll show you how a woodsman lights a fire. Where's the woodsman? 
Just watch me. Okay. Say, isn't this Judge Hooker coming? Where? I don't see anybody. Oh, well, it may be at that. Hello, Judge. Hi, Gildy. Yeah, trust him to get here first. Hi, Judge. Hello, Leroy. Well, Doc Morton, happy Halloween. Am I the first one? Oh, no. It works. Leroy here. Yeah. <laughs> Confounded Gildersleeve, what's the idea? It wasn't my idea, Judge, but anyway, happy Halloween. Yeah. Just stand here by the fire, Judge, and you'll be dry in no time. Doggone that kid. <laughs> now, Judge, boys will be boys. Well, I wouldn't be surprised if you put him up to it. Why, Horace. And you laughed. Well, I couldn't help it. I'm always laughing. Now, cheer up, Judge. Well, maybe that's my girl. Your girl? Miss Goodwin. What makes you think she's your girl? All right, I'm easy to please. I'll take Leela. Oh, no, you won't. Leela's my girl, you old goat. I'd rather be a goat than a hog. <laughs> well, hello, Leela. Come in. We were just talking about you. I knew it. I could feel my ears burning. Yeah, they're still pink at that. <laughs> uh, let me take your coat. Oh, thank you. Oh, my, the house looks lovely. I think Halloween decorations are so exciting, don't you? I certainly do. Oh, good evening, Horace. Good evening, Leela. What a wonderful idea, coming in your old clothes. I just love old clothes, party. This is my new suit, Leela. Or it was when I left home. Oh. Well, what happened? Gildersleeve's little nephew played a Halloween prank that soaked me to the skin. Oh, how awful. That doesn't sound like Leroy's Rock Martin. It's my idea of Leroy. Oh, mercy. The judge might have caught pneumonia. Oh, don't worry about me, Leela. I'm a pretty tough old rooster. Oh, well, let's forget all about it and have a nice Halloween. Uh, where's your lady friend, Horace? Miss Goodwin? Oh, she's not my lady friend. Not according to... Now, Horace, can't you take a joke? <laughs> Seems to me I'm being asked to take a good many this evening. Uh, that must be Miss Goodwin now, Judge. Why don't you go and let her in? Well, thank you. Uh, what did Horace mean about her not being his lady friend, Frock Martin? Oh, nothing. Just his peculiar sense of humor. Ah. Uh. Uh, ah, good evening, Miss Goodwin. Good evening, Judge Hooker. So nice to see you again. Permit me to take your act. Throckmorton? Yes, Leela? I thought you said she was a school teacher. She is, Leela. Well, she dresses like the school teacher's an Esquire. <laughs> now, Leela. Here we are. Mrs. Ransom, may I present Miss Goodwin? How do you do? It's so nice to meet you. Good evening, Throckmorton. Well. Uh, hello, Eve. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Why didn't you tell me, Miss Goodwin, and you were such old friends, Throckmorton? Well, <laughs> Since he's been on the school board, we've seen a good deal of each other, Mrs. Ransom. Ah, she. Well, well. <laughs> Nothing so much fun as a Halloween party, is there? Or is there? <laughs> have the right technique for apple bobbing, Judge. Oh. You have to follow the apple right down to the bottom and get your teeth in it. Oh, I could never do that. I'd ruin my hair. I wouldn't mind. Let me try it. Well! Uh, yes, I'll show you, Eve. Stand back, everybody. Wait a minute, Gilly. Wait a minute. Ladies and gentlemen, 
You will now witness a death-defying exhibition by Throckmorton P. Gildersleeve, diving into one foot of water from the stupendous height of six inches. <laughs> oh, Horace, you simply a scream. I declare I think you're funnier than Bob Hope. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go so far as to say that. Yeah, neither would I. Look, I'll show you now how to get the apple. How you doing, Gildy? Uh, Mrs. Rockmorton, come up for air. You'll drown. Don't worry about it, Mrs. Ransom. He has wonderful breath control. Well! <laughs> Hooray! Gildersleeve, you look exactly like a roast pig. <laughs> I know what we ought to do now. Let's tell ghost stories. Oh, that's a wonderful idea, Eve. I know a real thriller. Oh, ghost stories never scare me. Well, it'll scare you if we turn out the lights. Turn off the lights, will you, Judge? All right. There. I'm still not a bit scared. Oh, uh, you will be. Once there was an old haunted house way out on the edge of a swamp. <laughs> there was a ghost in the house who was trying to find his murdered wife. And he used to go through the house every night at midnight saying, Ooh, 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 ooh. ooh I'm frightened already. Yeah, I'm a little nervous myself. Oh, pooh. Oh. <laughs> well, one night some hunters were passing near the house when it got real dark. And not knowing the reputation of the place, they decided to spend the night there. So they went up to the door... And just then... Oh, Throckmorton, this is silly. I think it's fun. Uh, I know a game that's lots more fun in the dark than telling ghost stories. Uh, oh? Well, what is it, Leela? Sardines. Yeah. I never heard of it. Never heard of sardines? No. Oh, well, the way you play it, one person hides in the dark, and then all the others try to find him. Or her... And uh, when you find the person, you don't say anything. You just stand as close to him as you possibly can till all the others find you. That's sardines. Oh, well, I can see it's got possibilities. <laughs> yeah, let's try it. Miss Goodwin, why don't you be the first to hide? Why, Horace, I suggested the game. Now, you can hide next. Yeah, very fair, Judge. Go ahead and hide, Eve, while I count 50. Well, I, I don't know any places, but... Oh, all right. All right. One of the things I'm going to mention. 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, 50. All right, Eve, here we come. <laughs> Who left that chair there? Oh, doggone it! <laughs> the judge is having a little trouble, too, I can see. <laughs> Uh, what's this? <laughs> now, Throckmorton. Who is it? You ought to know. What am I supposed to do now? Stand close to me. Uh, uh can't stand any closer, can I? <laughs> what's going on here, anyhow? Hey, no fair turning on the lights. Throckmorton Gildersleeve. Now, Leela. Well, if I'd known there were this kind of people in the game, I never would have suggested it. Mrs. Ransom. Don't you try. Shush me. I wonder if you'd mind taking me home, Judge. But, Eve, the party's just begun. Well, as far as I'm concerned, it's all over. Now, wait a minute. Leela, please. Eve, please. Leela. Oh, who invented Halloween anyway? (laughs) 
Molly, you don't understand. I understand very well, Throckmorton. Take me home, please. But they've all gone, Leela. I want to explain. There's nothing to explain. I turn the lights on and I find you pawing that school teacher. Leela, if you could just listen. Let go of my arm, please, Throckmorton. Will you open the door for me? Oh, God. Thank you. Now, do you want me to walk home by myself? I'll take you if you're really determined. Leela. School teacher. She must be a fine school teacher. Well, she is. Oh, that's right. Stick up for her. I'm not sticking up for her. She didn't do anything. I I thought she was you. Throckmorton, that's a ridiculous bare-faced fib. She's wearing Chanel number no. five, and I always use Shalimar. Well. Leela, <laughs> I don't know one perfume from another. To me, they both smell good. I don't care to hear any more, Throckmorton. Oh, oh, look out! <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> You can't leave me here in this... Wait till I get my hands on Leroy. Don't blame Leroy, Gildy. Happy Halloween. <laughs> Here's a cut on this program with other directions for Bob Sweeten. This is Ken Carpenter speaking for the Kraft Cheese Company and inviting you to be with us again next week for the further adventures of the great Gildersleeve. This year, thousands of women all over the country are discovering what a special help with wartime meals is the product called Kraft Dinner. A box of Kraft Dinner gives them enough delicious macaroni and cheese for four people at only a few cents a serving. They get two boxes of Kraft Dinner for only one single ration point. And with Kraft Dinner, they cook that delicious main dish in just seven minutes. In every Kraft Dinner box, there's a special macaroni that cooks fluffy tender in boiling water and an envelope of Kraft grated. With this handicraft grated, you whisk cheese goodness through and through the fluffy macaroni in a jiffy. A very smart trick is to shape the hot craft dinner in a ring mold for a minute or two, unmold on a platter, and serve with cream vegetables or fish or a little meat. But just as is, craft dinner gives you a mighty fine main dish. Try this seven-minute macaroni and cheese soon. At your food store, be on the alert for point-saving craft dinner. This is the National Broadcasting Company. There you have it, friends, The Great Gildersleeve from October 31st, Halloween night in 1943. A very special there episode, a Halloween episode of The Great Gildersleeve. That happens to be just one of my favorite Halloween episodes of The Great Gildersleeve. And speaking of favorites, you know, we recently played you a stereo version of an album Vaughn Monroe put out in the late 1950s. It was called Vaughn Monroe, His Greatest Hits. And he re-recorded his uh, great hits. He re-recorded them in, in beautiful stereo sound. Yeah, and well, since it's Halloween time, what better time to listen to Vaughn Monroe himself singing Ghost Riders in the Sky. Here's Vaughn Monroe. An old cowpoke went riding out one dark and windy day Upon a ridge he rested as he went along his way When all at once a mighty herd of red-eyed cows he saw Plowing through the ragged sky And up a cloudy draw The ghost 
the sky. Their brands were still on fire and their hooves were made of steel. Their horns were black and shiny and their hot breath he could feel. A bolt of fear went through him as they thundered through the sky, for he saw the riders coming hard. And he heard their mournful cry. Ghost riders in the sky Their faces gaunt, their eyes were blurred And shirts all soaked with sweat They're riding hard to catch that herd But they ain't caught them yet Cause they've got to ride forever On that range up in the sky On horses torn fire As they ride on, hear their cry Done by him, he heard one call his name. If you want to save your soul from hell, ride on our range. Then cowboy, change your ways today, or with us you will ride. A trying to catch the devil's herd across these endless skies. The ghost riders in. Oh my. Yeah, the great Vaughn Monroe and Ghost Riders in the Sky. A nice stereo version of that song. You know, Vaughn Monroe, his voice still sounded great in the uh, 1950s. I've heard him sing songs in the 1960s, so he kept a great voice all through his life. You know, it was my grandmother's favorite singer was Vaughn Monroe. Yeah, she used to tell my mom that, and they used to listen to Vaughn Monroe Records. That's what my mom tells me, that, uh, yeah, her favorite singer was Vaughn Monroe. The man with the iron lungs, as he was known. Speaking of iron lungs. Oh, hey, we got Gogi Grant right here. Oh, no. Uh, she's going to talk about Boot Hill. Oh, my, I don't want to go to Boot Hill. She's going to talk about... The ride back from Boot Hill. Oh, that don't sound good. But here's Gogi Grant on Sounds Like Radio. Stone by the tree. 
by the tree As long as I live I will always remember That no one cried but me She's crying over there about Boot Hill. Yeah, it can be a lonely ride, the ride back from Boot Hill. Grogi Grant. Yeah, she's singing a spooky one. (laughs) Everybody's getting in the mood here on Halloween night on a Sounds Like Radio Halloween special. Yeah, we got a spooky story here for you. You know, one of the shows I used to listen to in the... uh, in the 1970s was a program called Night Watch. It used to come on about seven minutes before the news. And it came on on a weekly, excuse me, a weeknight basis. Night Watch. It had Peter Lee as the host. And uh, he told some really nice, scary stories. And I've got a Peter Lee Night Watch story for you now. Settle back, friends. This is going to be a wild one. Oh, a scary one. Here is the wonderful Peter Lee. Greetings, Peter. Greetings, my friends. This is Peter Lee welcoming you to the Night Watch. Follow me now to where terror begins and life ends. Come with me on the Night Watch. Tonight I want to remember for you a young and dear friend of mine who is no longer with us. Gone, but never to be forgotten, she is yet not totally immersed in death. Her death is of the soul, and her doctors tell us that her catatonic madness that sets her sitting day after day, staring out nowhere, looking ever inward upon herself, is a state she is unlikely ever to leave. How could such promise, such vigor and beauty, gaiety, intelligence and enthusiasm for life end so? I shall tell you. Julie. We shall call her Julie. Names are of no consequence. Julie had recently married David. That promise I spoke of had developed in both of them through the years of their flowering. Each semester of their college life had been more successful than the last. And then, graduated with all the honors that education could heap upon them, they'd set out into the world together. They married with all the blessings of their two proud and happy families who gave them as just one of many gifts to set them on their way, a touring honeymoon in Europe. That gift was to turn bitter in the mouths of those who gave, so bitter that the taste would never leave them. They crossed the German border, Julian David, after leaving Strasbourg. 
They were well into their second day of driving when they dawdled into that magical wood, the black forest that sweeps along the hills of the eastern bank of the Rhine from Frankfurt down to Baal in Switzerland. They were enchanted, enthralled by its magnificent beauty and swept on and on, uncaring of time. Dusk had caught up with them. The light had failed now and to travel on would be to miss too much. But one more village they would make. A mile out of Bad Hoflin, the car stuttered and staggered to a halt as David drew it to the side of the road. Damn. The fuel gauge must be faulty. Oh, never mind. I'll walk back to that filling station we passed. I'll be back shortly. All right, darling. I'll just enjoy the forest. Would you like me to come with you? No, I'll be fine. You just relax. And David set off back along the road. Julia sat and drank in the crisp, heady air of the forest as dusk turned to dark. The road was quite busy now, with cars zipping by, either taking their drivers home for the night or out for the evening's entertainment. She was at peace, relaxed, as David had suggested, awake, but in a sort of daze of happiness and joyful introspection. Time passed, an hour, and David had not returned. It was after an hour and a half had gone by, and still there was no sign, that Julia felt the first stirring of unease. She thought to set off back along the road to meet him, and at the moment that she set herself to do so and moved to leave the car, she heard the thump of something heavy landing on the roof. Terrified, she froze and listened as the soft scrabblings of someone or something moved upon it. Something was on that roof, alive. It was no dead branch that had fallen there. There, wolf even. There were still a few to be found in Europe's forest, she knew. As she imagined the possibilities, her fear grew in profundity. What was on the roof? The scrambling continued. Why didn't those drivers see it and stop? Now the sounds changed. There was a steady, regular thump, thump, as something solid was banged on the roof. It's not an animal, it's a man, she thought, and her fear grew. Now the other cars she knew had seen whatever it was she could not see, and as they sped past, their lights flashed. None of them stopped, though, and Julie grew more frantic as the urgency of those flashing, speeding lights blazed into her mind. But suddenly, hope, relief, as the sounds of police sirens approached her. Four police cars swept up, sirens blasting, lights burning on her as they surrounded her car. From each car, four green-uniformed men leapt and stood. They stood and looked and... Nothing. Oh my God, what is it, Julie thought. Then one of them grabbed a loud halo and called to her. You ought to get out of the car and run to us when I tell you. You understand? And do not look back. Do not look back. Now, run. Julie pushed open the door, slid out, keeping as far from the roof as she could, and ran. Only a few yards, just 20 at the most, she ran and turned and screamed and screamed. She is screaming still in her madness but always inwards in horror and pity for herself and her David. For what she saw when she turned was a man crouched on the roof of the car, dressed in that uniform that means prison or asylum universally. A man smiling at the bloody head of her husband, David, but he was gently banging up and down. <laughs> up and down. Oh, no, stop. Up and down. Oh, don't do it. Oh. Farewell. Farewell, Peter. Did you have to frighten us so? Oh, that was a scary one. Oh, my. Yeah, I can still remember hearing that story for the first time back in the 1970s, and it is still a scary one to hear it once again here on the Sounds Like Radio Halloween special. Hope you, hope you weren't too frightened with that one. That was a scary one. 
Well, friends, uh, we're going to try to lighten the mood here. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, poor David, uh, his head there. Well, you know, at that point, David must have been a ghost. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, he was a ghost. And I wonder, though, did he head off to town to try to find some help? Yeah, if he did, he would have been Mr. Ghost Goes to Town. Yeah, that's the name of the song you're listening to behind me. And here is the Park Avenue Hillbillies to sing Mr. Ghost Goes to Town. Oh, listen to it. I'm scared already. <laughs> Who's there? Who's there? Up there on the stairs. Beware, beware, I hear somebody coming upon his toes. Oh, look, there he goes. Why, Mr. Ghost is going to town. He takes his cane, his gloves, and his hat, and like a cat, he hurries down the alley. The moon is bright, and this is the night when Mr. Ghost is going to town. Hitting them high notes. Uh, well, at least we know what happens when Mr. Ghost goes to town. Oh, oh my. It's time we return to Boris Karloff. Boris, come on back here. We, are, we want to hear another spooky story. Why, I'm always happy to tell you a spooky story. They're my favorite kind, you know. Yes, I imagine they would be. What's the, what's the second story on your agenda, Boris? Tonight I'm going to tell you about the call at midnight. The call at midnight. Is this going to be a spooky one, Boris? Please tell me it's not going to be a spooky one. I can't guarantee anything here. You know what night this is, don't you? Well, Halloween time. I I I know that much. That's right. And at Halloween time, I 
Spare no feelings. You've got to listen to my scary stories. Now, let me ask you a question. Well, Boris, shoot. Are you one of the frightened? Yes. Do you have trouble sleeping at night? Do you find yourself tossing restlessly in bed? There are times. I wonder why. Well, uh... Perhaps you saw something during the waking day that troubled you. Yeah, that happens. What was it? That, that strange man on the bus or... Or the curious manner of that woman in the drugstore. It was strange. Or maybe your story is like the bizarre incident of the life of John LeGrew. Oh, no. John LeGrew was a bachelor, but not by choice. For 12 long years since the war, he'd supported his ailing mother and denied his own happiness. You see, his anemic salary at the watch factory had not permitted any thoughts of increasing the LeGrew household. But John had had something out of life. In 1944 in France, during the war, he had met Denise Franson, the wonderful little French girl who had been the only love of John's shallow life. But a bombardment of her little village and the silence that followed had left John with only one conclusion. Denise was dead. Well, the war ended and he had returned to America and his mother and the watch factory. And the dull years had ticked away with the clocks. But one day, everything changed. John came home after a day in the factory, and his mother said that a girl named Denise had called and wanted to talk to him. John couldn't believe his ears. There must be some mistake. Denise was dead. She had to be. But no. During dinner... Telephone in the hallway rang again. John rushed to answer it. It was impossible. It was unbelievable. But the sweet voice on the other end of the line was the same broken English of Denise Franson. And a dozen questions spilled from his heart. Where was she? How had she been? Why had she waited all these years to get in touch with him? Did she still love him? But oddly, Denise couldn't say much. Her voice seemed faint and shaky, but she gave out a telephone number. Butterfield 87777, and insisted that John should call her at that number at midnight. All the rest of the evening, John was in a fever of impatience. The tiny clock in the bureau mocked him as the hour minute hands slowly crawled round to the appointed hour. Finally, it was midnight, and John lifted the phone from the hook and dialed the number. A male voice asked who was calling. Surprised, John wanted to know if he had the right number. Yes, it was Butterfield 87777. Whom did he want to speak to? John asked for Denise Franson. Voice seemed puzzled. I'm sorry, I don't seem to recognize the name. John's voice trembled. I'm sorry, he said, but this number was given to me to call at midnight, and the man's voice interrupted him, saying, Oh, of course, I beg your pardon. Denise Franson? Yes, certainly, I remember now. The body was delivered for embalming yesterday morning. Looks like an automobile accident, and yet, well, in the midst of life, we are in death. John Legrue hung up. 
and sat in his chair staring at the wall for a long, long time. And to this day, he still sits staring at a wall and hears a voice, a soft, sweet, trembling voice asking him to call and call and call. Well, I leave you. This is Woodlawn. What? Oh, I thought you knew. The Woodlawn Cemetery is my destination. You see, I live here. Goodbye for a while, and and do call me when you get a chance. Oh, no. Oh, Boris. Pardon me if I don't rush that call. Oh, there goes Boris, slinking off into the night. Well, friends, we have just one more little feature for you. A nice song. How about that, huh? Our house singer returns, and you know, I just could not resist a Halloween show with Bing Crosby. I mean, the perfect Bing Crosby Halloween song. It comes from the legend of Sleepy Hollow. And the song I'm speaking of is, of course, The Headless Horseman, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, a fantastic cartoon I watch every year, and I listen to the story on the album every year here on Sounds Like Radio's Library of Sound. And now for you a special treat, our last feature of the day, Bing Crosby and The Headless Horseman. Take it away, Bing. happens outside when it gets late. Long about midnight, the ghosts and banshees get together for their nightly jamborees. There's ghosts with horns and saucer eyes, and some with fangs about this size. Some short and fat, some tall and thin, some don't even bother to wear their skin. Oh, oh, I'm telling you, brother, it's a frightful sight to see what goes on in the night. Spooks have a midnight jamboree. They break it up with fiendish glee. Ghosts are bad, but the one that's cursed is the headless horseman. He's the worst. When he goes a jogging across the land, holding a noggin in his hand, demons take one look and groan and hit the road for parts unknown. And there's no wraith like a spooky spurn. They don't like him, and he's really burnt. He swears to the longest day he's dead. He'll show them that he can get ahead. Unless you're careful, he'll get yours. Don't think he'll hesitate a bit, cause he'll clip your top if it'll fit. And he likes them little, likes them big, part in the middle or a wig. Black or white or even red, the headless horseman needs a head. With a hip, hip, and a clippity-clop, 
He's out looking for a topsy chop. So don't stop to figure out a plan. You can't reason with a headless man. Dark, you can't be good. Stay at home the way that you should. Cause right outside and waiting there is the headless horseman. Beware! And I'm getting out of here. Hold on, Bing, huh? I'm not far behind. The headless horseman, we just could not resist doing a Halloween show without listening to the classic Bing Crosby song, The Headless Horseman. The cartoon, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, that's a Halloween. It's a Halloween must here on Sounds Like Radio. Well, friends, we hope you enjoyed our Halloween special from Boris Karloff's stories to Peter Lee to a Peter Laurie imitator. A very good one, though. And, and of course, the great Gildersleeve and a whole lot of great music. Too much to mention here. All I have time now is to say so long. I hope you enjoyed the Halloween thrills and scares. Yes, join us every Halloween for our Halloween special on Sounds Like Radio. Now you can relax. You don't have to hear another Halloween special for a whole year. That means you got all that time to build up your knives. <laughs> all right, friends, until next time, I am your humble host saying... So long for now. Goodbye, everybody, and thanks for listening.